Hello and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm episode 71. If this is your first episode and perhaps you just randomly tuned in and have no idea what this podcast is about, well, the Sweet Spot on a Farm is a podcast about health and food. And it's my search for an answer to how can we achieve healthy body and mind with the resources that are available to us locally. And I'm looking at what we can do to improve our health and what and how we eat to support it. I bring in some interesting guests who have a lot of valuable information to share and who can provide us with the tools we need to lead a healthy, happy lifestyle that is personal to each and every one of us. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals, organic farmers and food producers, therapists and anyone whose business and life mission it is to keep the rest of us healthy. I ask them about their work, their passions and their lifestyle and I wonder what they like to eat and we share cooking tips and plant-based recipes we can all easily make at home. And there is always a lot of talk about food and today will be no different as I talk to a professional chef and a chef who incorporates into his cooking and life the principles of zero waste and seasonal eating. My guest today is a former head chef at Brunel's restaurant in Newcastle County Down and currently a secret dining zero-waste chef at Morn Larder, Paul Cunningham. Hi, Paul. Hi, 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 hi. thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for agreeing to talking to me. Um, we already chatted for like 20 minutes, and I wish I had caught that all on record, because you have so many interesting things to say. Um, but before we dive into the world of sustainability and foraging and seasonal eating... Um, I'm really interested in what is it that made you become chef? Was it a childhood dream or was it an accident, something that you were led into by your family? A mixture of all things, to be quite honest. Um, I fell in love with food at a very, very young age. So my grandfather was a keen forager. He had a garden centre and he, he taught me the way of the land and taught me to respect the land. Now, I come from a massive family like my dad had nine brothers and sisters. So you imagine how many cousins I have. But yet he seemed to zone in on me. Whether I showed the wee spark or whether he knew I wanted to be a chef. Or maybe I was the only one listening. I don't know. But he, he enlisted things in me that still stick with me to this day. And just that, that general love and respect of the land. And that, that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from. And then I started washing dishes at the age of 10. Which is probably illegal. <laughs> and then I loved the buzz of the kitchen. And decided I want a wee bit of that there. So I started cooking professionally when I was 12, which again is way, way too young, <laughs> but I just loved it. I, I loved the buzz of the kitchen. I loved that you could be creative. I loved that every day was different, you know, and that you're constantly learning. Um, yeah, it is probably illegal, like 10 years old. <laughs> Today they'd probably call the child services. <laughs> um, but that is that is really interesting. Like uh, a lot of kids that age are interested in PlayStation and uh, <laughs> Nintendo and doing a lot of other things, but definitely not kitchen and cooking. Um, so I suppose that maybe already then you probably had um, um, a relationship with nature and yeah. with, with growing your own food. Yeah, from the age. So if it wasn't out foraging my grand, I was up helping them in the garden centre. And like he was very, very sustainable back then. Like I'm 35 now, so we're going back 30, 25, 30 years. And the things he used to do, like, is is still mind blowing. You know, I was talking about the wee tins again. That's where he used to sell his cuttings. Where that's that's upcycling. We used to keep all the scraps from peeling or dinner, and we used to make our own fertilizer. And I still do that to this day. So you're you're returning everything back to the soil all the time. 
you know, it was, it was very good for me and I'm trying to bring them things into my, my children now as well. That's actually great because um, I think uh, we chatted before I turned the microphone on that. Um, uh, what's really important is to bring up a change in uh, in the whole culture of eating and cooking. Um, the change will only come with the kids that are kids today um, because at that age you're naturally quite inquisitive and you love to learn and you're really curious and kids love playing outside mm-hmm. so introducing them to all these things um, will hopefully spark some interest in, in them later the way you became interested and obviously it ultimately led to your mm-hmm. uh, your career as a chef but um, you're experimenting with foraging and um sustainable cooking and uh, and yeah like you told me um before we hit record that some of your products that you use in your cooking take maybe a year to ferment to prepare before you actually use them in a recipe mm-hmm. were you already doing that when you worked um at Brunel's mm-hmm. yeah so whenever I was in Brunel's I was probably sitting at about 89% Taywar now to explain what Taywar means because it's normally related to wine it's the only way I can explain my cooking style. So, um, I was sitting at about 89, 90% Taywar. So, I only use ingredients to come in 20 miles and nothing else. So, that means if I can't get fish sauce here, I have to make my own. Plus, it's zero waste as well. So, I ferment my fish fish guts into a garnium, which is essentially fish sauce. I wouldn't buy soy sauce either. I make my own soy sauce and mushrooms, which is just, it's only a simple five-day ferment. But for me, it's very, very important that I'm sustaining my local community. But um, it sort of goes that local honey type idea. Like my brother said to me a couple of years ago, so I take a wee spoonful of local honey every day to keep the body right. I sort of laughed in his face quite cheekily <laughs> and said, well, why don't you just eat local food? <laughs> you know, but it, it is funny what I'm saying, but it's very true what I'm saying too, you know. I think it's very, very important to eat local food. One, because the air miles and the packaging, you don't want any of that there. But two, because you want to sustain your local farmers and keep them doing their good work. You know, um, it's it's not important what you're eating, it's about where you're buying it from, you know. This is incredibly important, especially now. And I do believe that uh, because of what recently happened in the world, when basically the whole world came to a halt, mm-hmm. um, people have realized not only for the health reasons, but for economic reasons, for the environmental reasons, how important it really is to source locally. And um, obviously people had no choice when suddenly we couldn't get the deliveries um, to supermarkets from across the water and supermarkets were half empty. Well, what else are you going to do? So I absolutely loved the fact that a lot of um, local market gardens, a lot of farmers and growers who were supplying restaurants, which now were closed for some year plus, had to sell directly to the public. Otherwise, their produce would go to waste. And so now local people got used to shopping in their local farms and their local market gardens and their local tiny green grocers. And uh, now people are actually looking to sustain that to keep going because they obviously realize that the locally grown vegetables tastes better it it actually tastes but it's it's also more beneficial for your health and taste here as well you know if you want to get your kids interested in vegetables shop local and they'll soon be interested whenever they taste them you know and i also think like growing um i mean i'm not saying that everybody needs to grow 
full range of vegetables. But even if you just start with one plant, whatever it is, whether it's a herb or a tomato plant or whatever, um, like uh, getting used to how it looks when it grows and how it smells and then obviously kids can touch it at various stages of, of the yeah. growing process yeah. Yeah. and get to know yeah but plus you get the vegetable at whatever stage you want as well because during its life cycle it's going to taste different you know um, and you'll start learning more about the vegetable and start um, understanding how to utilize it better you know like a really simple thing where it grows spuds so you got spuds left over and I would put them in the cupboard of the seed and then put them into a big planter and put free spuds in it with a bit of compost and just cover it with soil. And every time you see shoots, just keep covering it. And by the time you get to the end, you'll have a full bucket of spuds. And that's a very, very simple thing to do that you can do in any space at all. Like So there's no reason why we all aren't doing that, you know? I actually, I've seen people, and actually one of... Um my previous guest, um, Heiko from uh, Portafera Permaculture, he actually did that with, um, he repurposed an old tire. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he does, he has a couple of tires and he actually, one of the tires, he was growing potatoes. And so whenever I, I now have my own garden and we have a very heavy clay soil that doesn't drain properly. And um, I put down four raised beds and he suggested just grow potatoes and exactly what you said just put um so i would put cover it with cardboard and put like really good compost and he was like just throw the potatoes down and keep covering it and every time you see the shoot just put another layer grass clippings compost whatever you've got some mulch just put it on and then obviously they will grow the roots which will break down the clay soil fertilize it and it'll be free draining and then you'll get loads and loads of potatoes um so yeah so i've done that i have now potatoes in two beds and i'm looking forward to it and it's also um what i find um you probably as a chef um will understand it but i find it incredibly satisfactory satisfactory to be able to pick your own ingredients from literally like you just walk out of your kitchen and pick your ingredients that you are now going to use to cook that's amazing. It's amazing. Plus, you'd be inclined to waste less because you've nurtured that from seed to plant. You know, so you'd be inclined to waste less as well, which is going to up your zero waste. You know, because every part can be used, you know, every single part. What's yeah. even more beautiful is that if you do have a garden big enough, big enough and you have your own composter, then whatever you do not utilize in cooking for whatever reason, whether you don't want to or it's not good enough or whatever, you then put it back into your compost and you use it to grow your other vegetables. Mm -hmm. It's just such a brilliant cycle. Like nature is, it's it's the, the greatest mechanism in the world. It's just so smart. Mm -hmm. we, we make our own wet fertilizer as well. So a lot of my vegetable peelings now I put into a big bucket of water and that's been fermenting since I moved into this house. And that'd be my wet fertilizer. So it's just a quicker, easier way to do it, you know. What do you mean, like wet fertilizer? So, you, do you put water in it at all? Yeah, or yeah. So it's a big bucket full of water. It's a big tub sitting just over the window, and it's full of water and all my peelings. And I keep adding my peelings to it all the time, and then that's fermenting away and breaking down all the vegetable peelings. And then I just take a jug of it and I do half a watering can up to half a watering can of water, and I put that in my garden once a week. Wow. <laughs> my granddad taught me that whenever I was five. <laughs> you know, in the way, just like... <laughs> I do admit that I bought seaweed, liquid, organic liquid seaweed for my tomato and my chilli plants. 
But um, I was looking at uh, like what, what is the best way and most sustainable way to do like a liquid fertilizer. And then a couple of things that I came up with was um, doing the, probably most people do the con-free, the mm-hmm. con-free tea. Mm-hmm which apparently stinks. I've done, um, when I volunteer at volunteer at Azor a couple of years ago, uh, we've done the nettle one, mm-hmm. which, oh my God, the smell of it is absolutely gross. It's really horrible, but it's so strong and it really works. It's great. You just need to be careful not to use too much because you could burn, um, you yeah. could burn your plants. Um, so it's probably like with any sort of um, liquid fertilizer, like nettle is something that I would probably use before the planting season, like put it in the soil maybe a couple of weeks before you start planting. Uh, whereas what you're describing seems like a much safer option that you don't actually harm the plants. Um, another one I read recently is Coltsfoot. Cold's foot tea, uh, which I need to look for. Like it's not just called cold's foot tea and comfrey tea, but it's not that you just make a tea infusion and use that. There's a whole like lengthy process involved. I think you have to put it in a jar with water and then let it sort of self-ferment for a couple of weeks um, before you can actually strain it and use it. Um, so it's very similar idea to your peels. Mm-hmm. But I think that yours is definitely um, safer as long as obviously people use organic vegetables. I suppose you would not want to put any pesticides in it. No, 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 no. Completely pesticides free. (laughs) You know, you don't want any pesticides about it all. Like, you know, it's funny. I'm good friends of mine at Castle Screen Farm. They're more or less completely organic. And the first time I went over, all the fields were covered in clover. And I asked him, what's crack here? And he says it holds uh, the nitrate in the soil, which means you don't have to use pesticides. Was blown away by that you know plus clover is really nice to eat it's a nice flavor you know i love clover mm-hmm. i am um, <clears throat> i grow clover as um sprouts so i sprout clover and then i put it in pesto but yeah it's it's really funny because i used to as a child i would have like picked clover and look for the four-leaf clover <laughs> but it would never occur to me to actually eat it and you can actually use that in a salad Mm-hmm. I do a really nice dish for castle screen and it's, it's braised short rib I do that with uh, smoked onion and clover and the flavour is really good like really good I make a nice onion caramel with it which is just onions and water so I roast my onions for half an hour at 180 and then slow cook them overnight at 90 degrees and then strain that and reduce it right down to make a caramel so you just drink, bring the natural sugars out of the onion and it's amazing it's really good flavour <laughs> That's on the onions and water. You it's, know? it's mind-blowing. I just can't believe how much you can do with such a simple thing. Like, simple thing that you can find anywhere around you. I mean, um, only recently I've started using daisies. <laughs> like, I, uh, my partner looked at me like I'm completely insane. I was just walking around our garden, picking the daisy heads and putting them into my mouth and eating them. He's just, like, looking at me like, are you sane? <laughs> and then he would find them in a salad at a dinner table just looking at it like what's this <laughs> I get that quite a bit as well I'd be out foraging I'd be well known in this local area for foraging but over the years more and more people have got interested in what I'm doing especially when you start explaining the health benefits like a 100 grams of common sorrel is enough vitamin C to do you four days you can't buy that in the shop you can't buy that like so wood sorrel like the more the more you start to forage and the more you start to connect with nature and the seasons, the more you realize why things come up at certain time of the year. So at this time of the year, say wood sorrel's best to eat this time of the year. 
it's a natural blood cleanser so it cleans your body after eating all the harsh wood all the harsh food during the winter months and then when you move into autumn you got the likes of your your rose hips your sea buckthorn which are all mega full of vitamin c to get you ready for a harsh winter you know it's very very interesting an ingredient i use a lot would be scurvy grass and most people are like oh that sounds nice. i'm not eating scurvy like but to me the the name of scurvy grass is very important so we all know fishermen were dying with vitamin c deficiency years ago is that chickweed no no chickweed's different so it's a scurvy grass is a coastal plant so the fishermen realized about scurvy grass was full of vitamin c and they would have took out handfuls bagfuls out to see them and that's what saved their lives you know so i think the name of it's very important to reconnect that history as well you know chickweed itself is is beautiful herb too like i, I love chickweed i'm using an awful lot of chickweed and um, there's not much I don't eat to be honest you know, <laughs> you know from from bird sap to pine sap my kids call that tree blood and um, you know but even the baby hawthorn leaves which are just coming up right now so actually a superfood in the in the fact that they actually convert bad cholesterol into good cholesterol they actually change it in the body whenever I took out the Great British menu last year Daniel Clifford was blown away by that they had never seen anything like that before I, I really really believe in the power of the land to heal the body and it based a dish each year in Great British Menu on that. It's my belief in it. Anything you buy off the doctor, <clears throat> in my head, comes from the wild, but then they've just filled up 80% other stuff so they can make more money. That, that's that's my take on it, you know. No, I, um, I can't agree more. And I think foraging is definitely the way to go. Um, my only worry is that um, people need educated on um, not just what to forage for, but also how to forage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, it's very easy to get carried away and clear out spots, which is not what you meant to do. I am um, whenever I started foraging, and I and I've been onto a few foraging walks um, to learn from herbalists, um, at least the basics. And one of the first things that I learned was that um, the three main rules, and that is only take as much as you need, ask the plant for permission, <laughs> be respectful, <laughs> and. Uh, Make it look as if you've taken nothing. Um, so don't pick all your needs from one spot. But say um, I forage a lot for wild garlic um, and I would pick a few leaves here, then walk a few meters and pick a few leaves there and then walk another few meters. Just so really it looks like I've taken absolutely nothing. Um, and then in return, I always have gloves and a garbage bag with me and I clear the forest or the area where I walk from any garbage that I find and that's my uh, payback for the nature providing me with the gifts no no that's the same as me <clears throat> it's very very important that we leave no trace in anything we do leave no trace mother nature is stronger than any of us and um, like whenever the pandemic first hit not to put a downer on it but everyone seen it in a very very different light now the way I seen it whenever it hit was I seen it as mother nature getting sick and tired of us ruining her I'm pushing her back. And that's exactly how I see that. Now, I've, I've said that a few people who wouldn't be in the same line of thinking I, ha- I am, and I think I'm a wee bit mental. <laughs> but once you talk more about it and you start explaining them why I felt that, they start to realise that, yes, maybe we are just taking over this planet a wee bit too much, and maybe she is a lot stronger than we think she is. And that's how I see it. You know? I'm actually really glad you said that. Uh, because that's exactly my line of thinking. Um, and I did say that to a few people as well, thinking, you know, this whole pandemic, that's just the planet trying to get rid of us. 
And I did, and it's not a very popular opinion, but I really do believe that the only way to truly cure this planet is to wipe <laughs> the human yeah. uh, species um, out of this planet because we are the sickness of this planet. And um, I know there are a lot of people who are trying to do their best and who are trying to fix it, but there's not enough of us. And there is not enough... Um, there aren't enough leaders who are trying to do their best. Um, there's too much corruption. There's too much greed. Um, there are too many people who just don't care. Um, and um, um, anytime uh, my partner and I, we do a lot of hiking and walks in the nature. And uh, my partner's forced to go on foraging walks with me, which never starts as a foraging walk. But I always have my kit with me and I'm always equipped to bring a few bits and pieces back home. Sounds um, very familiar. <laughs> but anytime we're out and you're probably the same, anytime we're out, it absolutely breaks my heart. To come into a nature and see all the garbage that people leave behind. And I truly believed, and it's probably my naivety, truly believed that the pandemic will change, that people will start appreciating the nature more. Oh, no. Um, unfortunately, um, some of the places we go to, the amount of garbage we keep finding, it's just unreal. And it's, it is really heartbreaking that people go camping um, using the nature and then just simply use it, abuse it and don't care and leave all the rubbish behind. Yeah, it's wild. Like I'd be out foraging and you'd find maybe a full mattress on, on the beach. I was like, it would be easier to take that to a dump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny, my, my older brother was walking down Newcastle one day, Main Street, and there's a car of, let's say the people from Belfast, I'm not sure where they're from, but in front of them and they just they threw all their KFC wrappers out the window. So my brother picked it back up and then my brother's He's not a tall guy, but he's a big guy. Like, <laughs> and he picked it back up and he put it back in through the guy's window. And the guy looked down. Our my dog goes, "Well, what are you going to do? You're, you're destroying the plant here, mate." <laughs> and the boys are great for enough, <laughs> you know. But he, it's very right to do that, you know. Um, you just have to look at some of the corrupt people in the world, what they're doing right now. Like, they're really they're ruining this plant. So what we're going to do? We'll move to our plant. We'll start ruining that. And you can see that work happening already. I think it's ridiculous, you know. I, I see it in the way that I have three young daughters and I see it in the way that we're lending this planet off them. So if you sit down for a minute and go, right, well, what are we leaving? What's her whenever they're my age? You know, the way we're going right now, there's no fish on by the time they're my age. Probably most of the farmland's going to be ruined. <laughs> you know, it's going to be smog ever. So everyone needs to change now. I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. Everyone needs to move as a unit together. Think about the generations after you and what you're leaving them. Absolutely. Um, I, I did actually, we, um, we went um, on a, a walk to Mourns a few weeks ago. My friends were visiting from the Czech Republic and we took them around the Moor Mountains. And we walked uh, back along the road, uh, back to Mealmore Car Park. And as we walked along the road, um, we saw in, in ditch on both sides on the road. And on one side was a field, the other side was a forest. In the ditch, both ditches were full of garbage, like plastic bags, wrappers from sweets and Coke cans and all sorts of plastic bottles from water and um, soft drinks and all that stuff. It almost looks as if people were throwing it out the window as they drove past. And we were absolutely horrified. And uh, because the car park wasn't that far um, and there's bins everywhere, um, and then we saw tires, old tires, 
all around the forest near the near the near the road so it looks like people just drive and dump their old tires and then drive off I mean who in their right mind does that mm-hmm. like surely it's just as easy to go and dispose of the tires responsibly exactly <laughs> exactly and I know exactly what you're talking about Mealmore Lodge that's, that's a place of beauty right there that's sitting right up the right up the face of the mountain so in order for people to put that waste out there they went out of their way to do that you know it's not that that's somewhere you pass on a daily basis you know that's out of the way that's a place of natural beauty you know so if they're doing that there what are they doing elsewhere you know it's 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 heartbreaking it <laughs> is know? and then imagine for the likes of us who like to forage and stuff when when everybody else who likes to forage if if we if we are to bring back foraging and sustainable eating and seasonal eating um where is it going to be safe to actually forage if we're going to pollute the environment literally everywhere not just in the cities but out in the nature then there is nowhere safe to actually forage because everything's going to be polluted. All these plastics, this dirt, these toxins, it's all going to leach into the soil. And from the soil, it's going into the plants. And from the plants, it's going into the leaves, into the fruits, into the berries, into whatever else you want to pick, into the flowers. Um, and then we're eating that. <laughs> and even in their waters as well. So the amount of plastic and in the water, a boy was telling me in Dublin, couple of years ago they were doing research that the plastic in the water was actually changing the gender of fish more or less have you ever heard of that have you no Jeez. yeah so it's changing the gender of fish because there's that much plastic in the water you imagine like so if them fish can't multiply where's that leave us you know it's it's that's scary like you know is that important you know that is scary and um, I just hope that most people, well, now it's, it's, it's been talked about for a few years that it's not really that safe drink from the plastic bottles. Um, and obviously manufacturers are trying to find more sustainable or safer plastic. But to me, it's still plastic. Um, but yeah, it is, it is scary. The same guy explained to me in the way that that's where man boobs come from. You know what they say about men have man boobs because it's because of the plastic water. Unless, unless it's somebody who drinks beer a lot, <laughs> there are there are compounds in hops that cause man boobs. But um, I guess this this t- totally answers uh, my question that I was going to ask ask you. I really wanted to know what zero zero waste cooking and um, sustainable cooking means to you, but you've already answered that. Well, to to put it into a nutshell, if um, anyone listening to this podcast wants to become more sustainable and more zero waste, middleman means processing and packaging take him out of the equation and take him out of the equation right now you know out of the equation so get to know your local farmer get to know and go and meet them every day or whenever you need to meet them and get things the way you want that'll reduce your packaging right away it'll, it'll reduce the processing right away instantly plus it'll create better relationships where you can get to know the farmer and say oh, i'm looking to eat this here we special dinner coming up or you might get something a wee bit cheaper where he can't sell it oh i'll do this here at a good price you can even buy bones and make if you're wee bit low money buy bones make soup out of the bones and to me that's what everyone needs to do right now is call out the middleman because all he's doing is taking the stuff processing it putting it in a package and that's things we don't need it doesn't need to be done let's take a a simple fish for instance so in a fish there's probably 40-50% waste in every fish so first of all take the scales you can take scales off you can blanch them dehydrate them and then fry them into crisps 
Okay. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's mad. So, yeah. so, and then you can take the blood and you can make a fish, uh, fish black pudding. So, where you would cook it oats, slowly cook it. Now, not everyone has a sausage stuffer at home, but I just wrap it in cling film and then fat pack it and just slowly cook it. So, you make a fish black pudding. Even the eyeballs can be turned into crisps where you blitz it up with tapioca, spread it, dehydrated fried. The bones can be obviously used for stock. Your, your heart can be cooked in, in that, your liver can be cooked in that. All the rest of the guts can go into fermented to make a fish sauce, and then you have your natural rest of the fish. Now, if you don't like your skin on your fish, you can take your skin off. I normally scrape it back, and um, braise it for four hours, dehydrate, and then puff it into like a prawn cracker, but it's a fish cracker. Then you're utilizing the whole fish, running from 50% of the bin. Well, people might have to change now with all the prices rising. They might be feeling the pinch a bit, so now's the time to act. Now's the time to, like, and People buying like l local organic produce or just off your local farmer, f first and foremost they're going to go, oh that's that's way there, you know, that bacon I'm buying is way there than the bacon at Tesco's. Now you cook the bacon at Tesco's, it shrinks and you're left with half it. Whereas you buy it off a nice farmer, there's no pesticides, it hasn't been pumped, it hasn't been flushed. You're left with what you got. Like we we'd got a chicken off Castle Screen last week. Now it was a big chicken, it was expensive. It was fifteen pound for the chicken. It was expensive enough, but out of that we get free meals. So you have your roast chicken, and then all because it didn't shrink at all. You have your roast chicken, and then after that, we done a risotto, a white garlic risotto, with the next day, and then all the bones we've made stock to make a soup this evening. You know, so there's no waste there, and that's free meals. So that fifteen pound now has became five pound, and that's fed a family five each night for five pound. It's not bad, like you know, but plus like um that that local organic produce. It's more flavoursome and more wholesome. So you, you actually end up eating less because your body doesn't need to just pile up on junk. Um, I do think people are eating way, way too much in their diet. Um, that's got a lot of things under underneath that'll make you age quicker. It'll shorten your lifespan because you're eating too much. You're putting stress in the body. It doesn't need stress. Just because you're eating junk to try and fill your body with nutrients. Whereas you could eat a third, maybe a quarter of what you're eating of nice local produce and get them nutrients that you need and um, it's up to you <laughs> you know i'd like to look young for an hour wee while you know what maybe i don't look young i don't know but um look you are what you eat it's that simple and there's other ways like <clears throat> if you do grow a lot of veg yourself or it, even if you don't have space to store it or you can't pickle it and ferment it and all my granddad used to make stools in the garden so a stool is where you put hay in the ground you pile up your veg and then you cover that with more hay and soil and then that preserves it so he would have these stools all over the garden. And that would have been week one, week two, week three. Or you can also clamp your vegetables as well, where you bury them in sand. And that'll help preserve them too. And that can quite easily be done in someone's back garden or their garage. Where you just get um, plastic crates and just sand and bury your carrots in. And they'll keep them up for six months, no problem. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, this is great. Clamp vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> clamp vegetables and you can store them anywhere. Oh anywhere. my God, this is great. Oh, you have so many tips. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been born, born a rare, don't you know. But um, actually, let's talk a bit about foraging because you, um, you live in an area you're close to sea, mm -hmm. so obviously there's um, and you actually live uh, by the by very clean seashore, so mm -hmm. you probably have the benefit of going foraging for seaweed. Mm -hmm. But I'm um kind of curious, what else do you forage for, and do you have any? ultimate favorite foraging mm -hmm. spots and ultimate favorite um 
thing, herb, leaf, whatever mm-hmm. it is that you like mm-hmm. foraging for the best? Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to say because I sort of get excited with different seasons coming up because I'm, I'm very, very in tune with my seasons. Um, to pick a really, really favorite thing would probably be sea buckthorn because of health benefits. It's just super, super vitamin C. And because I do a, a, that Taywar style of cooking, I replace that with orange. But it will also reduce that down to seasoned fish instead of lemons because you don't get lemons here. But um, to be more in tune with the seasons, so at the moment, at the moment, some of the favorite things I'm picking will be free cornered leek, which um, will give you a sort of spring onion, white garlic flavor. Absolutely amazing. Amazing by itself. The flowers are amazing by itself. But then um, lacto fermented, it's next level. So I do that with 3% salt and give it two weeks out of the fridge and then one week in the fridge. That's amazing, amazing. But you can also preserve the flowers too. I would preserve them in kindlers in a 3% brine. Um, so at, at the moment I'm picking, so at the moment I'm picking flower and currant, gorse. I'm picking free corn leek. I'm picking wild garlic. I'm picking channel rack. I'm picking nori. I'm picking dulles. I'm picking sea purslane. Sea beet, sea aster, um, cuckoo flower, hoary bittercress, clover, wood sorrel, common sorrel, baby hawthorn leaves. It's crazy. Like I could sit for days and explain what I'm picking, but like I've been building this up for what twenty nine years. What do you do with gorse? Gorse. So gorse, I would dry it out and make a powder, and use that to replace um, coconut flavors. That's how I'd use that, or use it as, really? a, as a colouring, yeah. So if you're doing like a, a yellow macaroon, I'd use gorse powder, you know. How do you dry it just in a dehydrator? Dehydrator, yeah. I love dehydrators. They're, they're amazing. How long does it take to dehydrate it? I go 30 degrees because you don't want to harm harm the vegetable or whatever you're dehydrating either, and you're talking 12 hours. How, how high? 30 degrees. 38 12 hours. degrees? 12 hours? Yeah. Bloody hell, I have to try that. Yeah. We, we take sugar kelp as well, so sh- sugar kelp's a type of seaweed. And we dehydrate it into crisps for the girls. What a healthy, nutritious snack. Oh my and god. It's got that natural alkaline sweetness that they love. So, you know, what do you want a Mars bar or do you want to be a sugar cup crisp? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's really healthy, you know, and the health benefits of seaweed are mind blowing. You know, I, I see seaweed as a superfood. It's mad. I'm just blown away by the fact, and it's really what way the kids are educated, the fact that your kids love this stuff it's um it's like when i talk to dervla from the cultured club like her kids love fermented foods Mm. like they would drink um what is gingerbug gingerbug one of the like gingerbug and other fermented like lemonades and all that stuff um you have kids that wouldn't touch it you know they would Mm. sniff you have kids that don't like um the variety and different different things and then you have kids that grew up with it that are naturally curious mm-hmm. like I uh, when I um, when I spoke to uh, Trina from Trina Nutritious like her little one is making raw treats and eats like beetroot hummus on raw cucumbers and stuff you don't see like four <laughs> or five year olds eating that stuff so I absolutely love the fact that your kids love this stuff because you educate them into it um do the girls help you foraging as well yeah yeah flat out it's like we family trips you know um so my eldest daughter farah she can name every seaweed in the beach hands down and she's only six years of age and then i was telling you about wee rosie coming from school 
last year with a big smile on her face. I was like, what are you smiling at there, Rosie? She's like, Daddy, look at my bag. And she had a whole bag full of crab apples for me. <laughs> a whole bag. Like, but it's good. Um, probably the, the least productive family forage we have is blackberries because they eat them all before we get them home. <laughs> uh, and you'll turn around and ask them where the blackberries are and they don't know, but they're all over their face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, which is, is good. Um, that's probably the least productive. But for me, it's just very important to have the kids out in the wild and um, have them connected with nature. Um, I just think it's very something comforting being connected with nature. I know I find great comfortness in it. Um, it's great for my mind too, just out, out in the wild all the time and connect with nature. That's something I want to install in my kids, you know. Yeah, and it's... Um, I find something uh, very relaxing about foraging, about mm-hmm. picking foods. And it's um, and it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're picking seaweed around the sea or whether uh, you're in the middle of the woods um, looking for wild garlic. Um, it's it's probably the fact that you're out on a fresh air. And it doesn't matter whether the sun's shining, although that helps, or whether it's raining or whether it's cloudy. There's just something about being out on the fresh air and he- hearing the birds around and touching, mm-hmm. touching the plants and because you involve all your senses and you also you kind of have to focus because you need to make sure that you're only picking the edible stuff um and it's uh, yeah because you 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 smell the food the scent of it and and you touch it and um you obviously like your wee girls you taste it as you go along and um yeah and and you're breathing the fresh clean air and then I'm usually I usually end up um I set myself maybe okay I'll go out for a couple of hours and pick this this and that and then like six hours later <laughs> you're coming back home and it's not even not even with bag full of anything it's it's more the feeling and you're so relaxed it's almost like meditation a very long one mm-hmm. yeah it's funny like sometimes I'd be away forest and very very deep into the forest and then nightness will come and my wife always says to me do you not do you not freak out in the middle of the forest. And no, I find it very, very common. Even if it's even if it's pitch black, I just find it very, very common. You know, you can also always find your way home. You're always going to find home, but it's just there's something I find very, very common about it. Just I don't know what it is. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It just calms me right down. But you, you obviously know the area, and mm-hmm. you've uh, you're you're well experienced. I'm not sure if I would suggest somebody who's new <laughs> to foraging go to the middle of the forest somewhere in the middle of the night and yeah. find your way home. <laughs> know your way back, but it's just. <laughs> It's just that being out in the wild and listening to the birds and hearing the wee rustles of the other wee animals. There's just something very nice about that, you know. I wonder if it's um, that sort of um, environment that inspires you or what is it that inspires you? How do you come up with uh, with your recipes? Um, how does the creative process go? I mean, does it start with a recipe idea or does it start with an ingredient that you find? So it... I get a lot of inspiration from whenever I'm out foraging. Um, I'd I be eating a lot while I'm out foraging and you're tasting things. But you're not only tasting things for what they are, you're tasting them at different spans during the, the, the season of it. So sometimes they'll get more bitter towards the end of the season. Sometimes it'll be more sweeter. You know, like if you take an apple, for instance, an apple just starting to form in the tree is going to be very, very tart. Whenever you get the middle, it's going to be nice and mellow. mellow and then whenever you get the end, it's going to be super, super sweet. You know, so a lot of inspiration will come that way. Also, my style of cooking brings a lot of inspiration because 
and trying to only use local ingredients and replace foreign ingredients with local ingredients. So through that you get a snowball sometimes of inspiration. Um, yeah, it's as simple as this. It's, things just come to you, you know. Some days you couldn't get any ideas and then other days you get 250 ideas, you know. Um, like the local produce we have in this area is amazing. For my secret dining meals, it was meant to be an eight course meal, but it's ended up being 11 courses because I just couldn't slim it down. I had a file block full of pages, like, like I literally had a file block full of different dishes that were just for that season, you know. It wasn't to go for the whole year and I couldn't slim it down to eight, so it had to be 11 courses. Tell me about your secret dining. What is it? How does it work? And um, how do you, is it generally just made from forged foods? And where does it usually take place? Do you have a set spot where you do, or is it secret as, it, as in like a secret location? How does it work? So for me, I want to bring back a wee bit of excitement, especially after the pandemic. I want to get people out of the house and get them mixing. But I'm also very proud of where I come from, and you can see that in my cooking style. And um, so, for me, secret dining is all about a celebration of place and produce. So I want to take people to places they mightn't have been to before, places they mightn't expect to eat in, um, and I want to celebrate them places. But I also want to celebrate our local produce. Now, we're an island surrounded by water, and a lot of us don't eat fish. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, it's poorly handled. Two, it's not local and free has been pretty cooked and um, also lamb lamb seems to have a persona that's too strong as i think there's a difference between winter lamb and, and spring lamb so winter lamb has got that stronger flavor it's not because the actual lamb it's because of the feed that's being fed in the shed which gives it a strong musky flavor also they're maybe not eating local lamb so i'm i've created taste menus that were meant to be eight courses but actually 11 courses because i got carried away and um, everything comes when I say 20 miles, but it's generally 15 miles. Everything comes in. And I'm trying to push the local producer's produce as well. I'm trying to get people to realize that you can get this in St. Patrick, or you can get this here. And I'm getting great feedback now of the producers where people are coming into their farm shop maybe a week or two later and they're asking them questions or inquisitive about this. Um, but for me, trying to hit the likes of fish. So if I, if I create an 11 course taste menu, there's courses in there, maybe fish that people would need, or lamb that people would need. But I'm getting feedback with people saying, I didn't think I liked lamb. That was amazing. Now, the lamb I've just served them is a lamb tartare, which is probably as far as you can go with lamb. Now, to put that lamb tartare together, I create an ancient, an ancient way of doing it, I'm just trying to reinvent it, where I wrap the lamb in kelp for four days to dry age it. So it, it salt cures it and pulls all the moisture out but intensifies the flavour. And then I I bind it with um, pickled white garlic seeds, uh, chopped free corner leek stem, and I take the, all the lamb fat and I roast it to make a roast lamb fat dressing. So you get roast flavour but raw texture. And then I wrap that in a, a cabbage leaf, savoy cabbage, for texture, sort of like a taco type idea. And we serve that with sea radish leaf mustard. So I make a mustard out of sea radish leaves, uh, hung sheep sugared and then I've got a wee cabbage and sea radish leaf powder and then I make my own kalabushki or the sea radish root so kalabushki goes back to my Taiwan style of cooking where I used to make dashis back in the day but instead of buying bonito from Japan I would make my own bonito out of trout bellies so I would have cured the trout belly smoked it and then dehydrated it and sort of seasoned it but then I started moving into more vegan type way of cooking and um, I started trialling this technique with vegetables so I'd done carrots first and I moved on to sea radish and the 
results have been amazing. Even to have something like that in the house, and if you're a vegan, like my carrot kalabushki, for instance, if you're a vegan and you want a quick stock, boil hot water, microplane a bit of kalabushki, and you've instantly got a smoke cured carrot stock. It's crazy, like, it's crazy, you know, but just, just moving into that style of cooking. So, secret dining is all about me trying to push the food in this local area and trying to support the local producers. So, for me, it's it's sustainability in a bubble itself. You're promoting local businesses, you're promoting local producers, but you're also pushing that culture of local forest food. How often do you do these events and how many people can you book in and where does it generally take place? Yeah, so, I am... Um, I do from twenty four to forty, so I've just I've just came out of the, a big series of doing them, and um, I'll be releasing more tickets in May. But it'll be for August onwards because I'm getting ready at the end of May. I'm opening up the a sustainable hot food bar with zero waste ethos, so I'll not be able to do secret dining during them times. After that, it'll be one a month. Now I do have a lot of tourism bookings so they privately book me as well. And um, if you can't do a secret dining, if it's a party of less than twenty four. I can do private dining or I'll come to your, your own location and cook for you there. Um, I think it's class. <laughs> it's going great. It's going really, really good. Like I'm getting emails from all over Europe asking me for more dates, which is completely and utterly overwhelmed, to be honest. Like I didn't think that this small idea I had and this little mission I had to promote and utilize local produce would have went this far. Um, do you have a website or how do you how do you release new dates and how do pe- how can people get booked in? Mm-hmm. So my website's being built at the moment. Um, I started building it last year, but I was going through training with the tour sport, so I held off just to get all the information available. Um, at the moment, I use Instagram for everything. So you can get me on Facebook and you can get me on Twitter, but Instagram's what I channel everything out of, and then I would sell tickets through Eventbrite. But hopefully in a couple of months, the website's up and going, and it'll be all through that there. Amazing. I... It's it sounds absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I'll definitely have to keep an eye out because I absolutely want to get booked in. Um, now we talked about your tips um, for zero waste, but I'm really intrigued by your zero waste hot food bar. Mm-hmm. When did you even get this idea to to do this, and um, what can people expect? From, from this menu, what what are you going to be offering? Obviously, zero waste cooking, but what can people look forward to menu-wise? So, whenever I, I used to own my own, just to go back, I used to own my own restaurant that was very, very, very successful. Um, and say I wanted to push more into it, was about 90% terroir, I wanted to push into 100% terroir. But leaving a really, really successful restaurant that you owned, <laughs> part owner, I want to cook with more purpose. So that's why I'm opening up a sustainable hot food bar because there's there's a lot of good takeaway food outlets. There's there's a lot of good ones. But for me, they're not very healthy. They don't support local. And there's a lot of processed food. Um, there's a lot of people... Convenience is a big thing nowadays and a lot of people are running about busy. So a lot of people are eating this type of food a lot more often. So I want to create something that was a lot more healthy and a lot more sustainable for the local economy. So... Within my sustainable hot food bar, everything will come within 15 miles and it'll all be organic, definitely raised produce. And then with zero waste, the ethos as well. Now, the main thing where I'll start with zero waste is going one to one with the producer because then I cut out the processing and I cut out the packaging. So, for instance, instead of getting in my milk in plastic two layer bottles, I'd be getting metal pitchers, which we'll go back after. You know, that's, that's where the zero waste will come in. But then also the scraps, so I'm explaining about the fish. So a squid 
in particular has 40% waste so I'll take that 40% guts and I'll make fish sauce out of that I have my garlic peelings and all I'll have a smoking shell out the back where I'll smoke that and then make smoked garlic peel and salt you know there's a lot of things are going to come into play and um, plus having the hot food bar it means I'm still able to do my events through more and order and um, I, I am a man on a mission I am trying to cook a more purpose it's really really nice to see that people are are noticing that that's, that's why you're here today um, and the other things I've done recently there's, there's a lot of light on me at the moment and it's good maybe I've just timed it at the right time to me that doesn't matter I maybe should have started this five years ago to be honest because I think everyone needs to wake up now as to what way we're buying stuff and what way we're sourcing stuff and, and everything it needs to change right now better late than never mm, yeah better, <laughs> better late than never you know but essentially this would be the first first chippy in the country ever to grow its own vegetables and bring in the whole animals and utilize the whole animal and also have a support chain with my suppliers so let's let's say my pork guy for instance he can't sell his he can't sell his pork butts and they're all they're going to go off i will take them and turn them in something so it supports him better you know what i mean not this is a sort of chain for one half working you know? oh my god <laughs> this sounds absolutely amazing um I can't wait for you to start. Yeah. At least I'll have somewhere healthy and sustainable to go to after my morn's hike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to. I didn't explain the, the type of food I'm going to do. So um, for me, there's a lot of American style food in this country. For me, we don't live in America. We live in Ireland. <laughs> so I'm going to be doing more traditional stuff. Um, just reinvented a lot cleaner. Um, so there'll be vegan options, most certainly be vegan options, because I think that's part of the way forward in our food culture. But I'm also going to be doing more traditional stuff like pies, scotch eggs, you know. Why can't you go to a chippy and get a nice pasta dish? You know, why is that not doable? Why can't you go to a chippy and get a nicely grilled bit of sustainable fish with a nice holiday sauce and a bit of sea, sea vegetables? This is what I'm going to try and bring in. Um, it's going to be restaurant quality food, I'm not going to lie about that. It will be high end, but it will be very, very affordable. You know, I'm not here to make money. Money to me is the root of all evil. And that's all I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to make a change. And it's that simple. What an amazing message. To end this podcast. Thank <laughs> you so very much. Um, it's true I, though. You know, it's true. You don't go into business trying to make money. It's not the way I do it. You know, I'd be much happier if, if a couple of these wee type of sustainable food bars in the next couple of years start opening up all over Northern Ireland. I'd be happy to see that. You know, I think, I think um, the money is something that will follow if you do something that you truly believe in, that you are truly passionate about. Um, I think it's I, I really think the intentions. If I was to make loads of money, probably most would go to charity or something. <laughs> Honestly, I don't really care about money at all, like, which is mad. Um, I speak to so many people who are so genuinely passionate about the stuff they do, and it's always so nice mm. to sit down and chat about your passions that are really there to literally benefit everybody because what you are set to do and what you are already doing is really benefiting the whole community it's benefiting the environment and um obviously you're educating as well everybody else because if people like your food they will be interested in where it came from how do you make it why do you make it that way and then in turn they might start implementing some changes into their own way of cooking and living it's actually built into my business plan that i do free foraging tours for all schools and all techs oh wow i've been approached by a couple of them and i pull how much i had and i goes no it's free 
Is it what you mean? It was like, I'll show you my business plan if you want. It's built and do it for free. <laughs> but I believe if you give a little, you get a little. And it's just, for me, it's about making a change. It's not so much about making money. It's about making a change. You know? We better finish. Come on then. You're a fire family. It's the crew, don't worry. You're okay. Bye. <laughs> this is something I ask of everybody. Um, do you have a favourite vegetable or in your case it's probably a favorite ingredient that you forage for and would you be able to share a simple recipe that features your favorite ingredient yeah so it's not so much a favorite ingredient because mine change all the time but to do a, a really nice interesting vegan dish that you can use different ways so i use um organic courgettes from a local local supplier down the road and what i do is a, a thinly slice them in the modeling and keep the seeds separate, so keep your wee block of seeds in the middle separate. After I finally slice them, I'll blanch them in hot water for 20 seconds, and then straight into ice water. And then I'll pat them dry and dehydrate them for four hours at 60 degrees. And then I'll make a simple vegetable stock and just emulsify that with a local rapeseed oil to create emulsion, and then reheat the courgette strips and that. And essentially you've made a courgette tagatelle. So it's completely vegan, and the same texture because you've blanched it, dehydrated it, and you've rehydrated it, you've stretched the fibers and put them back together. So it makes like a crochet tagatelle. And then I would serve that with, so the little seeds in the middle, I would compress them with um, a wee bit of rapeseed oil. I think the seeds are quite nice. And then I would blowtorch them for a char, give you that sort of charred flavor to the dish. I would then do a sunflower seed and celery seed puree, and then pickle marigold flowers to finish it. Marigold flowers just with cider vinegar pickled. Oh my it's quite god. nice like it's quite nice oh my god i love marigolds actually <laughs> another real nice thing i made was pineapple jerky it's really nice technique so i take my pineapple and thinly slice it and i mix that with marin and five spice and then a vac packet and then freeze it so what happens when you freeze it is the water expands and then contracts so it tenderizes the pineapple and then dehydrates into jerky and it's like a fruit jerky it's class. Oh my god! <laughs> it's class. Very <laughs> yeah. nice. It's just cool wee things you can do. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, I suppose you have all um, of um, these weird and wonderful things <laughs> um, on your social media. So where can people find you? What's mm -hmm. your um, your 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 tag? Your um, um, your handle rather? And um, what will be your web address once your website is up? Yeah. So my. Main, my main handle is more larder, and the easiest way to remember that is I only cook with larder the Morns provides. <laughs> it's it's that it's that easy to remember. My website isn't up and going yet, but it will be more larder. Um, and then whenever the new sustainable hot food bar opens, it's going to be under Scober. That's, that's my grandest nickname. So. Fantastic! <laughs> it's Thank all you go. so very much, Paul, for a wonderful chat, and I can't wait to uh, visit your um, your hot food bar when it's up and running. No problem. Thank you very much, and thanks for having a wee bit of interest in what I'm doing. You know, trying to spread the word, and I hope a lot of people listen to us today. And even if they don't think about it all, if they take one point from our conversation today and try and turn that into their life, daily life, I'd be happy, man. If you want to make Paul and me happy. Take even just one thing out of our conversation and try implement it in your life. If you have a garden, it could be perhaps saving your organic vegetable peels in an outside lidded bucket and let it ferment into an organic liquid fertilizer. Or if you don't have a garden, perhaps book yourself into a local guided foraging walk and learn about what wild foods are available near you. 
And if you cook a lot, see if you can implement any of Paul's tips into your cooking to utilize the most of what you buy or grow and reduce what you're throwing out, even if your waste does go onto a compost heap. And as for Paul's lovely recipes, you can find his courgette tagliatelle on our social media with the rest of the shared podcast recipes. The best place to find them is the file section on our Facebook group page where you can download the individual PDFs and you can even download the full podcast recipe collection from the first 50 episodes for a small donation to our chosen health charity, Mind Your Mate and Yourself. The recipe collection can also be found on the charity's own website as download and donate at mymy.org.uk. Instagram also has our podcast recipes. Just search through our podcast posts if you're not on Facebook. And the Sweet Spot Cookbook is also still available. Um, You should be able to purchase it via Amazon or you can message me for a copy. And if you are in Belfast, you can still get a copy in Eatwell Foods on Lisbon Road. If you enjoyed this episode or any other please leave us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast. It takes about 30 seconds and it helps other podcast listeners to find the right content for them. And it helps content makers like myself to find the right kind of audience. And if you have any comments, suggestions or have a guest in mind that you would like to hear on this podcast, please drop me a line on social media or email me at thesweetspud.com at gmail.com or simply leave a comment on social media. Remember to tune in next time, whenever it may be. And for now, try changing just one thing in your cooking habits to reduce the waste. And if you can, join a foraging walk to learn more about the edible wild plants around you. But whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot, music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by J.